Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. This is about knowing Christ more and more. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Thank You for this precious Word of Yours. And we adore You. We thank You so much for Your Word and Your Spirit who is here to guide us into Your truth. Uh, Lord, feed us. Feed our minds that we may know You better. For that is what life is about so that we can glorify You. In Your Son's name, Amen. You can be seated. Uh, we have been uh, in chapter 3, and Paul had made a list of all the spiritual benefits, all the positives that was on his side, the accomplishments that he had made in religion before he knew Christ. And uh, I would say if you would look at that list, especially if you're Jewish, but uh, anybody would say that's quite impressive when you think about all that he had done, I mean, he, this was a, an elite religious man. As religious as it can be. Uh, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. had come from Israel. Uh, we know that um, he was zealous. He had the best education that he could have. Uh, from the highest, topmost group, the Pharisees, blameless in all his ways. And if it was righteousness... Paul had it, as far as he was concerned. If anybody's righteous, it was him. But we know that he had been knocked off his horse, he had been blinded, and we know who he saw. He saw Christ, and he had discovered, and God had brought it up to his heart, that he was lost. Matter of fact, everything that he had had on that list was absolutely, totally useless. Nothing there of value whatsoever. After all that time he had spent and all that work he had done, it was useless. And so we know that he has made that statement, Christ is above all things. Matter of fact, he has surpassed everything. And uh, Paul, when he realizes that, realizes the most important thing. The surpassing value of Jesus Christ far exceeds anything that we can imagine. He had been completely wrong. Could have written a book entitled, I Was Wrong. And of course, that's what he's saying here in Philippians 3. And he's showing that Christ is right. He was cut to the quick when Christ uh, met him on that Damascus road. And then Christ became everything to him. He no longer had anything to boast about. I mean, everything was chopped off. He's down to nothing, right to the nub. His whole life has changed in a sudden moment of time. And he wasn't looking for that to happen. It uh, was a thing that the Lord had in mind. So instead of looking for Christians to kill, he was now pursuing Christ. And that was his righteousness. He found out where righteousness came from. It wasn't from himself. As good as he thought he was. Paul uh, is consumed with Christ as we see uh, as he's writing Philippians here. 
And he wanted to know him. I mean, really know him as much as he possibly could. Now, that's Paul. You can say, yeah, but that's the apostle. I mean, are we all to be pursuing him, pursuing Christ like Paul did? Well, all Christians, first of all, do have a desire to know Christ. We all have that desire. Uh, And we should want to know Him more and more. You say, my, there's all these different things. You know, I do this, I do that. I I listen to this this show, this radio show, uh, this CD here. I get all the information I can. And boy, we have this Bible study. We have this worship. We have this Bible study. This worship. Have all this. Say, isn't that... It's just... Is that enough? Well, pursuing Him... Uh, in any way that we can so that we can know Him more and more. You cannot get tapped out on the Word of God, can you? And of course, this is how we know Him through the Spirit. Uh, we are to know Him. Uh, we are to pursue Him with all our height, hearts, and minds, our soul, our, our very might that we have. Um, and if we're depending upon anything else in our lives to make us happy, then we do not understand what Christianity is about. We must know Him. And that's our theme today. It's about knowing Christ. There's nothing better to talk about. Anytime you have a message out of the Bible, you're going to be talking about Christ in some way, aren't you? Whether even in the Old Testament, it's going to be pointed to Him. Of course, you get in the Gospels and you see His life. You get in the book of Acts and you see how uh, it affected people then. And then we get uh, doctrines and the practical living because of Christ and the epistles. But it's absolutely essential that we know Christ and the, we go out after Him more and more. And that's our specialized text today. It's dealing with knowing Christ. We always say that's what we want to know, but right here is where it's at. We're going to go after five marks that all Christians should aspire to. All Christians. This should be a mark of us. The uh, very first thing that is Paul says that I may know Him. Well, he already knows Him. He's met Him. He says, I want to know Christ. And I think it's like this. If we can put this in a practical way for ourselves. That I don't know Him as well as I should. Would we all kind of probably feel like that? Oh, yeah, I know Him. Or somebody might ask, have you, been in, have you been in the Word of God? Yeah, but not as much as I'd like. Have you been in prayer? No, not as much as i like, right? And pursuing Christ, who is our supreme, surpassing value, that's what we want to do. And we're not talking about knowing intellectually. We, uh, we are to go into the Scripture and find out who He is. It's not just knowing intellectual about Christ. That's not what the verb is dealing with here, that I may know Him. It's gnosko. And we've seen this word before, and it really means to have this experiential, personal relationship with Christ. That I can really know Him personally. We're the only religion in the whole world that really talks about having a personal relationship with God. Now that's very basic to Christianity. That's about as basic as it gets. We all hear about that, don't we? Uh, Having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You hear testimonies, you hear the athletes saying, my life changed whenever I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Um, but that's really what it's about. Sometimes we, we forget. Um, in John 10, we have the Good Shepherd. 
And Jesus says, I know my sheep. I know them personally, experientially. And my sheep, what? Know me. Right? And of course, we, uh, we know Christ. Jesus said in the high priestly prayer in John 17.3, that was the prayer for the believers for all of time, actually. All the ones that were yet to be born like us. And He says, this is eternal life that they may know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. To know Him. Eternal life is connected with knowing Christ. So somebody would say, I have eternal life. What eternal life are you talking about? Um, Well, eternal life is talking about knowing Christ. In 1 John, there's a tremendous statement. In 1 John chapter 5, right at the end of the epistle there, in verse 20, it says, We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true, even Jesus Christ. Son of God has come so that we would actually know Him. You know people in this room. You know Him personally. Well, we can know Christ in that personal way. Salvation is that. It's knowing Him experientially. Okay. All Christians know that. But there's different layers in knowing Him. And that's what the Apostle was saying, that I may know Him. already knows Him. But he really wanted to get to know Him much better. We don't know the Lord as nearly as well as we would like to know Him. Sometimes our sense of the Lord can get so dim that we just don't feel like He's there. We don't hear Him. He doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem like His presence is with me today. Right? And when we're reluctant when we say, yeah, I I know Christ. I I wish I knew more of Christ than I do. It's It's an endless kind of deal. Even as a pastor, here I'm saying that I want to know Christ more His joy and His wonder and the excellencies of Him. And sometimes what I promote falls a little bit shy of what is really experienced in my own life. Uh, I think of that great uh, Romans 8 where it says the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. We can't even pray what we really need to be praying. And even when we don't pray, the Holy Spirit is still interceding for us. We fail in our prayer life. Everybody feels that way. But we want to translate the joys of Christ. And we we know that we battle with it, but we want to win there a little bit more. We want to identify with each other that we're on this journey. And we need each other to help each other to know Him. As we get to know each other, we get to know Christ more as we see how He works in each one of us. And how He takes us in different positions. Everybody's going through different things right now. A lot of different things. And we, and we pray for those people and if we forget, the Holy Spirit's praying for them. <laughs> but it, it, it's good to know, to be able to, to, to know people. And we're journeying together We treasure our relationship together, but even more, we treasure 
what we have in common, and that's this person of Christ, and we desire to get better and better that. Now, what what is this that I may know Him? Uh, we know some things about Him. And these are important things. We first have to know someone by hearing about them, right? Somebody might mention something about somebody. Or you read about them even in a book. Or uh, you're introduced to a person that you didn't know before. And then you, be, you begin to get to know them. You, you, you learn about them. And Paul learned about Christ he had heard things about him before he met him on that road. Only thing is, the things that he thought about were not something that had entered his heart. He probably knew a lot of facts about him. He'd probably ask, oh yeah? yeah where, where's this guy from? Is he a Pharisee? Oh, he's not. What's, what's he been, what did he do out there? What was he doing? How old was he? You know, Maybe some of those kind of thoughts that went through Paul's mind. Uh, how do, okay, tell me again, what, what, what was the deal about this death of him and, and people have this resurrection? He knew that. He, he, that's one of the reasons that he wanted to, to kill Christianity because there was a story going around that this Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. How ridiculous that is. Paul's got to do something about it and he was bound to determine to do it and, and he started doing it, persecuting people. But he gained some knowledge about hearing about this Christ even though uh, the picture in his mind was far different than what uh, he was really about. Paul had some knowledge about him. But until we're illumined by the Holy Spirit, all those facts are not going to do us any good. Matter of fact, they can do us harm if we do not have the Holy Spirit residing in us and recognize what this is. At the road to Damascus, That whole scene is incredible. Paul was not looking for Christ. He was looking for Christians to kill. There was a revelation of Christ there. And I mean his mind was opened up now to spiritual realities that he had never had before. He now realized who Christ was. And he had quite a revelation there, did he not? But it was the Holy Spirit that came in illumined his heart, his mind, his old thinking. His heart was awakened and now for the first time he had been regenerated. There was an inward working there and the light was turned on. The light was off and all of a sudden the light came on and now he knew some things about him that is true that's making an impact right here. So there's an outward revelation we know. To know Christ, there's only one way. The Bible and the Holy Spirit who illumines us. This is how we know about the biblical Jesus of Nazareth. Now a lot of people may think they know about Jesus. They say He's one of the prophets, right? They'll commend Him and say He was one of the great mystics of all the time of uh, mankind. They'll give Him different titles. Almost all religions recognize this Jesus. And even the Muslims do. They even mention Jesus 25 times in the Quran. Isn't that incredible? The only thing is, they don't really know who He is. But it's here in the true Scripture we find discoveries about our Jesus Christ who we love so much. So we get a structure like a skeleton. When we first realize who Christ is, 
And then the muscles, the tissue, the skin starts coming on the skeleton. We get the basic idea. This is how we get to know Him. So a new Christian says, oh yeah, that's Jesus Christ. I want to know everything I can about Him. And you can't get enough of Him, right? You can't get enough. You start pouring over the Scripture. That's what a Christian does. He, he desires to know who that is. So what are some of the things that he realizes about Jesus Christ? Well, the two natures. The two natures of Christ. That means He was God. He is God. And that's an amazing thing. He is God. And He's also man. That's basic to us now, but think about it when you first heard about that. And it's not so basic because all of a sudden it just starts getting bigger and bigger. And you go, wow, this is incredible. He's God. He's man. Uh, Then we go on further in the Scripture and we realize the three states of Jesus Christ. The three states, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about Missouri, but we're talking about pre-incarnate, before He became a man. He was always here. And then the incarnation where He was born as a baby came through in the sense that He was in the womb and then He was born. He went through this life just like an ordinary person would. He felt those things. And uh, of course, he, as He came to earth, uh, He identified with man and then we know that He um, died, buried, rose, ascended to the Father or at the right hand. Uh, so... We know the pre-incarnate Christ, the incarnation of Christ, and then where He is and and who He is now after that. Uh, How about the three offices of Christ? Prophet, priest, and king. We know about that. He is the prophet. He's the last prophet. He's the prophet of all prophets. He is the one who has been revealed to us in these last days. He's the prophet. He comes and... Because it's all about Him. And He's the one that shows this is Him. He's a priest that He takes us to the Almighty God, the Father. He's the go-between. He's the mediator. We know about that, don't we? And He's the King. He's the Lord of the universe. And Paul said, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, in verse 8 of Philippians, knowing the Messiah, Yeshua, my Lord, my king. He's the king. I am the what? The slave. Great. I can serve the king of the universe. So the three offices. He was flesh and blood. We know he lived life here. Uh, and then he also ministered while he was here. He served. He came to serve the many. His life was a ransom for the many and He serves them. He uh, was baptized by John the Baptist. These are just some basic things we're talking about. Jesus saying, yeah, I know these. But when you start putting your mind on these things and thinking, this is my Lord and Savior, what can I think about Him? Well, think about the biblical things. His claims. What kind of claims did He make? Well, He claimed uh, that you're going to kill Me in three days I will rise again. Uh, He claimed that He was God. Uh, anybody that does that is lying or they're lunatics, right? Or they really are who they said they were, the Lord. Nobody else was able to back that up. No other religion has a Savior who rose from the dead. He is the risen Lord. 
made the claims, he backed them up. Think of all the encounters that he had with people. The blind. The deaf. The dumb. The, the, the people who were inhabited by demons. All these miracles that went on. And then his great teachings. And he, he backed up his teachings, his word, by doing the miracles to prove who he was. And then we have the Gospels. Of course, to tell about all this. Then we have the the letters. We have in Acts the preaching of who this was and how it spread out all over the world. This is how we know Christ. You say, I was wondering what that meant, that I can know Him him better. You say, how can I know Him better? How can I do that? Well, think about those things. We learn what is revealed right here. We have it right here. Go back and review those things. Man, this is the one who I love, and I love him because he loved me first. This is how we know him. Well, when we really start to know him, we also trust him. Now, we trust him at salvation, but we learn to trust him more and more as we see that our lives are here to be shaped by Him, and we have to trust Him, this one we can't see, who we know so well. Matter of fact, you probably know Jesus in some ways, know Him better than maybe anybody else in the world. There might be a few people you know better. But think about it. This, this Jesus, we, he's, I know Him so much, and, and His promises are there. I have all this information. I have the promises. I have to trust Him. I don't see Him. I don't feel Him. But I'm trusting Him. So when you know Him, you trust Him. You you trust Him like you would when you are a baby and a young child who trusts in their mother and the father. Right? Because everything that they're getting, whether it be water, food, uh, warmth, clothes, everything's coming from the father and the mother there, right? As they're taking care of them. We are sheep and he's the good shepherd and so we trust this shepherd we trust him to feed us and take care of us and it's based upon the objective knowledge that we have found in the truth go go to John 10 verse 14 this is how we live the Christian life we start looking at Christ and of course we look at the cross and the the supreme um, work that was done there and, and and we see that even right now is what he is. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. That's quite a promise. There's a shepherd who takes care of his sheep. And then you look down in verse 27. And my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And what do they do? They follow me. We follow him because we know his voice. We know the voice of this this shepherd. And we look in 1930 and Jesus says, It is finished. All the work that has to be done, and that even applied to Paul. Paul's work really was rubbish, right? And he realizes Jesus said the work is done. It is finished. That's taking you back to the cross. That's quite a promise. You know Christ and you know that the ultimate sacrifice there was done at the cross. Redemption is finished. It's done. 
What a sweet word to all of us, isn't it? What a promise. That I may know Christ. So that's trusting in Him. Trusting that that sacrificial work is completed. So we love Him. When we love Him, we trust Him. And when we trust Him, we love Him more. We know Him, we trust Him, we love Him. Kind of works in in conjunction there. We know Him, we trust Him based upon those promises, but we can't help but love Him and being grateful for all He has done, all that He is. To know Him is to what? To trust Him and to love Him. That's the idea of knowing Him and realizing that great teaching that He had for us. Look in John 14.27. Some of the last things that He was saying to His disciples before He was going to be crucified. John 14.27 Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Don't even be anxious. Don't be troubled. Don't be fearful. Look at this. I'm giving you peace. The world says peace, peace. They're they're looking for peace in the Middle East. They're looking for peace all over the world. And you know what? They're not going to get it. It's uh, just a facade if they do. It won't last very long. And in John 15... Just a few verses from there. It says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. He's going to take care of you. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. He cleans us with the Word. And and, uh, we, we love His teaching. Don't you love that teaching? When, when you see what He has done in His life and ministry and His death, burial, resurrection, His ascension, His two natures and His three states and all of those three offices and such, and then you start recognizing His promises that He has, there's a lot in this Bible about Jesus, isn't there? And the more you pour into this, the more you will know Him. He said, oh, I get it. I can know Him better if I, if I read the Word. That's right. That's right. You know what? He said he was going to lay down his life. To lay down his life. We love him because he gave his life for us, right? In Romans 5, verses 7 and 8. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For us. The substitutionary atonement, and He did it for us. Christ took the wrath that we should have taken. Doesn't that want to make you know Him? To trust Him? To love Him? All of that's packaged in the knowing. He protects us. He preserves us. You know, I would have left Him long ago had it not been the Holy Spirit residing in me, working in me. How many times has Christ 
Holy Spirit, the very power of God, kept me from destroying myself. I don't know. But He sure does that. I, I would turn and leave like a sheep would. To know Him is to love Him, to know Him more and more. That's all of our duties. But I don't look at it as a duty, do you guys? It's not a duty. It's the beauty of being a Christian. To actually know Him and to worship Him. I know Him, says Paul, but I want to know Him more. I want to know Him more. I want to know Him experientially. I've seen Him. I've talked to Him. He's talked to me. But I really want to walk with Him. I want to live in the presence of Jesus Christ constantly. Having that conscious thought. That's what praying always is. Consciously thinking. Whatever you're doing, you know that Christ is right there. Having the deepest possible experience. You say, well, that, isn't that for the apostles and then maybe the, some of the great fathers of the faith and all the saints, all the other Christians and such, but is that really for me? I mean, am I supposed to be doing that all the time? I've got other things I've got to do. Well, yeah, you're supposed to work. I mean, He's given that. But even in our work, we realize, oh, this is something that um, God has given me to do so I can glorify Him here. You know, whatever that may be. But we experience Him wherever we're at, whatever we're doing. It's all the time. He's saying, you're supposed to do that all the time? Well, that's our lives. That's what our lives are really about. That's what the Scripture is pointing out. That's what Paul is saying here in Philippians. And it's not just for apostles. We go to part two now. That I may know Him, and that sets us up for all the rest of it, and the power of His resurrection. He says, I want to know Him so much, I want to know the power of His resurrection. I bet everyone here would love to see that kind of power. I want to really know what that was. Yeah, I believe in the resurrection. If you're a Christian, you already believe in the resurrection, right? You already believe there's power there. But do you understand what kind of power this was? This is, I think this demonstrates even the more the power of God than, than even the creation of the universe. That power of the resurrection. Now Paul lived in the glory days of the Roman Empire, right? He's writing this Philippian letter. All the different things that happened there. You have Caesars. You have the Pax Romana. You have the dramas that they have. You have the political system. I mean, the whole deal in Rome. The architecture. Uh, of course, the, the area was known for, uh, also uh, spread out all across the world, was the Greek language. I mean, this is quite a, an impressive time period that Paul was living in. And of course, the Jews. Even though they were under the, the rule of the Romans, Judaism had flourished, it had its temple, it had its great, magnificent temple, just glowing white, and all the gold there, and the chief priests with all their outfits that they had on, and, and the law, and uh, the Sanhedrin. So the Jews had their great high time, the Romans were having their great high time, and all the Greek people. What a kingdom the Romans had! What an empire! And this little kingdom, not really known to anybody, they didn't get it. Jesus Christ says, yeah, the kingdom is at hand. Of course, you're looking at the king right here. They didn't recognize that. But this kingdom comes along, it's not known, and it fights in a total different way. The kingdom 
fights spiritual battles, fights with prayer, fights with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, fights with faith. No other kingdom was fighting like this. How could Christianity take on the Roman Empire? Paul is writing this to a place that is in the Roman Empire. How can he take this on? How can Christianity take this on? Well, I'll tell you what. There were definitely a lot of pagan religions out in the world at that time, right? How's he going to take them on? They were rampant. Many gods. Well, the only thing is that they die. They all die. And at that time, people were doing pretty good to live 40 years old. I'm long past that. They die. And they had to be thinking, what happens when I die? Well, they'd make up these stories, those philosophies of what would happen. It's the conundrum, bro. Really, what do we do with this? We die. People die. They die very young. Well, Paul has this news that the greatest display of power that Jesus did, this was accomplished at the resurrection. The greatest power ever known from the resurrection from the dead. And Paul says, that's the kind of power that I want to know. I want to know how powerful this is. I've experienced it. It changed my life. That takes a lot of power. But as you get to know Christ, you get to know a little bit more of that power. Dynamite that's going on. Why did I trash this stuff that I had? Paul's saying, I'll tell you why. It was just rubbish. I trashed it all. Well, it's because of this. It's because of the resurrection of the dead. It's because of that kind of power. And so... When you look in the book of Acts and you see the gospel being preached, sin is ever put before them and the penalty is put before them. The wages of sin is death. But then the good news is also brought forth and proclaimed in that Jesus arose from the dead. Now, Paul talked about that in Corinth. And most people laughed him off. There were a few that found it interesting. I wanted to find out more about that. Let me tell you. If somebody tells you about rising from the dead and nobody else has a really good legitimate answer, you might want to listen to it. Maybe there's something to this. That's a good question to ask a lost person. Okay, yeah, um, I understand where you're coming from. You can say that, literally, because that's where you were at. You didn't know where you were going. You are just heading aimlessly. And you say, well, after you die, where are you going? What's going to happen when you die? Do they have some kind of philosophy on that? Have they even thought about it? Ask them. See what they say about that. Might come up with some amazing answers. This is what we have. We have the answer to it. So that's so basic. Yeah, that is part of the gospel, and it's the it's the dessert of it all. And without it, we are doing something ridiculous here today, right? I mean, it would be ridiculous to be talking about Jesus Christ if He never rose from the dead. It'd be like any other religion, wouldn't it? This is where we're different. Many other ways, but God makes us alive in Christ. 
He acts in our lives. We have the power there. I have no life without that resurrection. I have to be joined to Him. I have to be that branch in the vine. Life starts to flow. Right? There's a power working in me. A mighty strength. In Ephesians 1, 18-20, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. You know the hope of His calling? What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? That we would know the riches of the glory. How, How far can you go here? And He's saying that's our inheritance because it's Christ's inheritance. And 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? Let's keep reading. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. All these are power words. Which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above the whole rule and authority. On and on and on. My! The power that it took to raise Him from the dead. To know divine resurrection power is really knowing Christ. What a Savior He was when He burst out of that tomb. Amazing. Without this kind of news, folks, without this kind of power, how is anybody going to do anything that's pleasing to the Lord Jesus? We want to please Him. But if we don't have this resurrection power, we can't. How can we ever resist temptation without the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? How can we defeat sin? How can we deny ourselves if we don't have the resurrection power? How can we love our neighbors as ourselves unless we have the resurrection power? It's good to be reminded of this, isn't it? Do you all already know this stuff? Yeah, you do. You know every bit of this, don't you? But isn't it great to be reminded? How can we love our enemies without the resurrection power of Christ? We have something that nobody else has. He fills our hearts. How are we to turn the other cheek when somebody says something that's really bad to us? Well, without the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, you really can't. How can we preach without the power of Jesus Christ being risen from the dead. You know what? Without the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, all you'd be hearing this morning is the words of man. All you'd be doing is hearing me and it would not make any effect. And that's why it's something amazing that happens when the Holy Spirit takes this Word that we read and starts making an effect on our hearts our mind, our, our thinking changes even more. Look at Romans 6 4. Therefore, we have been buried. This already happened. We have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, <laughs> look at this, through the glory of the Father. So we too might walk in newness of life. This resurrection power 
right at this moment. He's going to say something more about it later. But now he's talking about the resurrection power that allows you to live the Christian life. Do you see what's happening? Right now. He's not talking about later on in the resurrection where we have glorified bodies. He's talking about what happened in Romans 6.4 at our salvation where we were raised to a new life. Do you experience that new life? It happened, but do you experience it, right? Christians are to know this resurrection day by day. Not only looking at the cross, but looking at the resurrection that brought Him out from the dead and that we can live this humdrum, quote, life and make it exciting, joyful. All those duties. Now, it's continual. It's, it's a continual thing that, that happens. In uh, Colossians 1.11, this resurrection power, it brought us new life, but it keeps us going. Strengthened with all power. Dunamis dynamite. Uh, according to what? According to His glorious might. Look at this. This is for today, folks. Right now. What? For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share. Is this incredible? Did you see this? We're strengthened with all the power. All the power we ever need, we're strengthened. And it's according to what? Not our idea of what might is, but it's according to His might. And what kind of might? His glorious might. That's incredible. That's the kind of power that He has put in us. And I know you don't feel like it. I don't feel it. I don't feel that there's a glorious power here. But whenever I read the Word there and I go, well, I guess it's true. Well, we can look at that and look at the promises. Now we know Christ more. Now we can live that glorious, powerful life now. This is what made it possible. That's incredible. You know what Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this? And he's probably talking about his own experience when he said this. Sometimes when you're praying alone, sometimes when you're reading the Scriptures, we do this, right? Sometimes when you're meditating upon these things, there comes the strange awareness that there is another, someone else, present, that you're not alone. He even seems to be speaking to you. You don't hear, but you grasp the message. You understand what He's saying. He is there encouraging you about something you've done, or perhaps chastising or upbraiding you. He's showing Himself in His glory and wonder, asking you to come nearer and to spend more time with Him. These are the things. This is part of the fellowship about which the Apostle is speaking that I may know Him. Martin Lloyd-Jones had quite a bit to say there. Have you ever had that? I'm sure you have. Where you know that the presence of Jesus Christ is stronger than you've had before. There's special times where he, you really need His encouragement. Right? Isn't it great? And then you can look for that feeling the next time and you know and it is true to that but not always do we have that same experience but even when we don't he's still loving us he's still there as much as he was before 
We may not be feeling that experience, but the truth is still there. And that's what counts. But it sure is great to have that experience. It's a continual resource. Now, knowing Christ, isn't that a beautiful thing to do? Our next one is that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And then that next one. I'd just like to leave off. No, we can't do that, can we? This is part about knowing Christ too. And this is our everyday life too. Knowing the fellowship of His suffering. And in a saving way, we've already read that in Romans 6.4 where we died with Him and then we are resurrected with Him. You know, we died with Him. There's a constant dying, denying self and such, right? Uh, but there's a daily walk thing too that goes on. What about the suffering? Well, did Paul know about that? He already knew about it and he wants to know more about it. Now, now get this. This is the same Paul who had been beaten. He had been thrown into prison. By the way, he had been thrown into prison at Philippi, hadn't he? Do you remember that? And uh, he was in there singing at uh, midnight. Singing while he was in the stocks. And uh, singing praises to God. He had been stoned. He had been shipwrecked. He knew what it was like to share in the sufferings of Christ. He knew what the stripes were as he had been beaten. Philippians 1.29 You know, we've already read something like this before. And it's an amazing verse. You think about it. For to you... It has been granted. It has been given to you. as It's a gift. For Christ's sake. Not only to believe in Him. It's a gift, isn't it? For by grace you're saved through faith. That in your, not in yourselves. It is the gift of God. Faith is a gift. He grants it to us. It's not something we work up. It's something He gives. And then we go on to that next line. But also to suffer for His sake. He grants us faith. And he says, by the way, it's been granted to you that you suffer. That you, that you would know Christ, as Paul says later here in chapter 3. He knew what it was like. He knew what taking up the cross was all about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, after he had been to the third heaven, there was given something to him that would humble him, that he would not be boastful because of that place where He had been. And uh, He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Here's the word. For power is perfected in weakness. We're weak. He is strong. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ might dwell in me. I'll boast about my sufferings so that the power of Christ will live in me. I'll be ever present of knowing what Christ went through. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, He says, I'm I'm content with that. For when I am weak, then I am strong. (laughs) Paul, this is beyond human thinking. You know what we're peering into here? The world, if they heard something like this, would be laughing it doesn't make any sense. The power of His resurrection, yeah. 
but the power of His suffering? That sounds weak. That sounds ridiculous. Who wants that? That's ridiculous. You don't want to suffer. Boy, there are troubles that come into our lives. Sometimes troubles come because we take a stand for Christianity. It brings on persecution. This is all the cross. Take up the cross. The cross is not a piece of jewelry around our neck where we take it to take up the cross. The cross is all of this stuff that Christ went through. And as if it's not enough, and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Paul says, oh, to know the power of His resurrection. Yep. Oh, to know the power of His sufferings. Yeah, I guess so. Now, to know His death. I'm going to be conformed to His death. I like the idea of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, right? That's what's happening. But you know, our bodies are dying. And one of these days, we're like grass. I'm a piece. I'm a blade of grass that's withering. I'm a flower that's fading. I'm glad there's eternal life. Otherwise, this is it. This is all there is. We know better. I want to know Him in His death, Paul says. I want to be conformed to His death. It leads me to know Christ better whenever I think about His death. Now, the apostles were whipped for preaching stuff like that. When they talked about Jesus Christ, look at Acts 5.41. When you preach the Gospel, along comes some persecution here in the early church. And of course, it went right on through and even up to today in our times. In Acts 5.41, well, verse 40. They took his vice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. You've been flogged. Anybody here been flogged lately? The past year? <laughs> I don't know what this flogging is, but I'd rather not have a flogging. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And he's, okay, guys, we flogged you enough. They just beat them. And they says, okay, don't you ever speak about Jesus again. Now get out of here. So they went on their way from the presence of the council <laughs> rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. And they didn't stop because it says, and every day, every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's what Christians do. They never give up what they know to be truth. Wow. What a perspective on life. This is the early days of the church. Real early. Real early. And they went away rejoicing after they'd been flogged. Proclaiming Jesus Christ again. Well, opposition to your faith. How about even losing your job? A marriage breaks up. Some kind of awful thing happens. Terrible thing happens. And ultimately, you're saying, well, God is in total control of this. You know what? He's God. 
Thank God He's doing what He's doing. It is well with my soul. You know, there was a early church father by the name of Polycarp. Anybody ever heard of Polycarp? He's noted for making quite a statement. There he is. All they're doing is saying, hey listen, if you would recant that Jesus is Lord to your life, we'll let you go. I got him bound up and getting ready to kill him. Or him up. The old man looked back at him and said, 86 years I have served him and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And when they brought him to the stake, he prayed this. Thank you that you graciously thought me worthy of this day and this hour. Worthy to die for him. Jesus looked at the cup that had been given. He drank it. This is death. Paul, as he wrote this, will soon drink the cup. If necessary, I will give my life for Him. Becoming like Him in His death. Paul said, I want to know Him in His death. One last one. Verse 11. And this wraps it all up. This is on quite an upbeat tone here. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That I I can attain this, that I can finally get it. Finally, I've been resurrected in new life, but I'm going to be glorified. And if we don't point to that, then all this other stuff is really nothing, isn't it? It's going somewhere here. That in order that I may attain, or some of your versions may, that I may somehow, that I may attain to the somehow attain to the resurrection. Paul doesn't know how he's going to get there. He doesn't know about that resurrection morning. Uh, for his own self. But somehow or other, he will. He knows that. It's guaranteed. I know that I'm going to rise from the dead and see Jesus. I have no doubts about that. I want to know this power. I will experience this one of these days. I have no idea what's going to happen. And it's sure good that I don't. The resurrection is certain. We know we're going to get new bodies. Glorified. The route there is not known. We know the destination. We just don't know the actual details to that point. He doesn't give us that. doesn't allow that to happen. Perhaps Christ will come back before we die. We don't know. Sure could. Somehow, we must certainly attain this resurrection. And we will. You know what? Paul is saying this. In order that I may attain the out-resurrection from the dead. You know what that out? Out of the corpses of the dead. To be taken out of the corpses of the dead. You're thinking of the, the grave there. New body. Gets a new body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 51. Last Scripture. We're right at the end. How could you not be right at the end when you talk about the resurrection, right? 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, 
But we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. Isn't that an incredible thought? We need to know Christ Jesus, the Lord Himself. This is what's going to be happening. This is what we look to. It's worth it all, isn't it? That I may know that. I want to know all these other things and I want to know this. And and you will. You are guaranteed of it if you've trusted in Him, right? The church today is famished. It's in a famine for the want of His presence. They're trying all sorts of different things. They're trying games. They're trying entertainment. They're doing uh, dancing, uh, whatever, all the other things that they do. Uh, they want to meet the felt needs of people. Uh, the, actually, the Word of God has really taken um, kind of a step backwards or two or three. It's not at the forefront. It's every part of our worship, right? The cure for all the ills in the weak church today is to enter the Lord's presence and know that He is in us. He is with us. We learn that through His Word. The proclaiming of Jesus Christ says in Matthew 5, 8, to see God, we must be pure in heart. How's our hearts been lately? Be clean of sin. That's where it starts. You know, we're forgiven, but on an ongoing basis, to have a single minded, undivided desire for Jesus Christ, pursuing Him. When God is our supreme desire, when He is everything that we need, He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Christ covers it all, all those little things that we get. They're not going to really mean anything without Christ. When nothing else really matters, does it? It doesn't really matter compared to knowing Christ. If you know Him, you are pure in heart. You will see Him. First John three two says, "You will see Him as He is, and you will be like Him." Boy, folks. This is about as upbeat as you can possibly be, isn't it? Look what He's given us in His promises. We will see God even more so than we do now. So in the meantime, here's what our life is about. To know Him more. To know Him more. And you say, okay, that's enough. I'll stop here for a while. No, just keep knowing Him. Climb up the mountain. You've got to get to the top. Keep climbing. Keep knowing Him. Keep digging and finding the jewels. To know Him is what life is about because then we can glorify Him much better. Let's pray.